Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm your host, Father Thomas Loya, and I want to give a special welcome and greetings to some of our newest listeners in the Nebraska area. I want to especially say hello to Jen and Bruce from Spirit Catholic Radio in Nebraska. We're on, I guess, at 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings. Glad to have you with us. And we're just thrilled to be heard out there because Nebraska is the absolute edge or outskirts of my own particular diocese, which in the Eastern churches we call the eparchies. Our dioceses are called eparchies because it refers to basically territories and rather large territories. Nebraska actually lies within the 12-state region of the Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian Eparchy of Parma. And Palmer refers to a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and that's where our see is. In other words, where my bishop is. That's where the center of our eparchy or diocese is. We take up 12 states. Now, some of the Eastern churches, if you think that's big, some Eastern churches, the whole United States of America is their only diocese or eparchy. It's because the Eastern churches are smaller and more sparsely populated, especially in the Western world. There are more dense populations of Eastern Christians in the Eastern parts in the United States and certain parts of Canada, but throughout most United States, Eastern Catholic churches are rather sparsely populated. So we have to have very large territories to make up our dioceses or eparchies. So once again, thrilled to be heard in another part, the edge of my own eparchy of Parma, thrilled to be heard here in Nebraska. So once again, hello to all of you listening in Nebraska, especially Omaha area, and also to Jen and Bruce. I had an interesting, enjoyable interview with them recently on Spirit Catholic Radio. So again, welcome you. I also want to let you know about some of my own personal activities. In fact, you can go to TaborLife.org to keep up with some of the areas in which I do other kind of work, especially in the area of human relationships, theology of the body, marriage and sexuality, and so on. Go to TaborLife.org. That's the Tabor Life Institute. And I will be giving one of the talks at the Catholic Psychotherapists Association Conference, and it's open to anybody, especially those of you who are seminarians or priests or psychologists or psychiatrists, anybody in the helping profession, but anybody at all can come to this conference. It's Thursday to Saturday, November 7th to the 9th, 2013. 
at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport Marriott South. That's in Fort Worth, Texas. The title of this conference is The Beauty of the Human Person. And I'll be giving one of the talks there, as I mentioned. And to find out more about it, go to catholicpsychotherapy.org, catholicpsychotherapy.org. I know you might be thinking, well, gee, I'm not a psychotherapist or anything like that. But nonetheless, this is a Catholic-based approach to human healing, like the title says, psychological healing. And it could have an awful lot of great insights for anyone who just wants to become a more whole, holy person and to help others to do so as well. So a lot of great information, a lot of great insights in this very Catholic-based Psychotherapy Association Conference. Again, Thursday to Saturday, November 7th to 9th, go to catholicpsychotherapy.org, and I hope to see you there, especially all of you in Nebraska, some of our new friends here, new listeners. This week in the Eastern calendar, some of the Eastern calendars, the Byzantine liturgical calendar to be exact, we have, as we do every day, we have a saint or more than one saint featured. And this week, we have the Saint James, the so-called brother of the Lord. Now, I'm going to read something to you from a, a great source, which I highly recommend for anybody, East or West. It's called The Prologue from Oakred. Now, this is a series of books, four volumes, which basically gives the background of the saint of the day and has some interesting meditations. It's a very, very handy and informative book. So here's what it says for October 23rd which in the Byzantine liturgical calendar is the feast of the Holy Apostle James, the Lord's brother. He is called the Lord's brother because he was the son of righteous Joseph, the betrothed of the Most Holy Mother of God. When Joseph was dying, he shared out his goods among his sons and wanted to leave a share to the Lord Jesus, the son of the Most Holy Virgin Mary. But his sons opposed this, not reckoning Jesus to be a brother of theirs. James, though, loved Jesus greatly and announced that he would include him in his share, counting himself to be indeed brother to the Lord. James was, from the first, devoted to the Lord Jesus. According to tradition, he went to Egypt with the Most Holy Virgin and Joseph when Herod tried to kill the newborn king. As soon as he heard Christ's teaching, he began to live by it. It is said that, during the whole of his life, he ate neither fat nor oil, but lived only on bread and water. And he was chased to the end of his days. He often kept a vigil of prayer at night. The Lord included him among his 70 apostles, appearing to him after his glorious resurrection, as the Apostle Paul testifies in 1 Corinthians. He was bishop in Jerusalem for 30 years and governed the church of God with zeal. On the Lord's instructions, he composed the first liturgy, which was far too long for later Christians, and was shortened by St. Basil and St. John Chrysostom. He brought many Jews and Greeks to the Christian faith, and even unbelieving Jews marvel at his justice, nicknaming him James the Just. Okay, this is a little bit from the Synaxarian, this book. Now, I know you're probably wondering, scratch your head a bit and saying, did I hear what he just read? Did I hear that right? It started out here in the Synaxarian about James. He is called the Lord's brother because he was the son of righteous Joseph, the betrothed and the most holy mother of God. Then it talks about Jesus and his brothers. And this may sound strange to you, especially those of you who are Catholic. And of course, we are Catholic here too at Light of the East. We're Eastern Catholic. But from the Eastern perspective, there is the belief that James was indeed the brother of the Lord, but only through Joseph. In other words, a half-brother. Now, in the Western interpretation, it goes by the teaching that the word brother actually was a reference that is very difficult to translate exactly into English. In other words, it meant very, very close relative. And in the Semitic thinking, the Semitic mentality and tradition and language, that word for brother could also mean a very, very close 
relative. That is also one interpretation of this idea. The Eastern tradition said that he was, in fact, the son of Joseph. Now, there should not be any sense of conflict here. Again, we're all Catholic. I'm Eastern Catholic, and many of you are Latin Rite Catholic, because the point that is important, the thing that's really important in this discussion, whether it's speculation, which is largely speculation, we don't know for sure, but the important point is that none of these so-called brothers of the Lord, whether they were half-brothers or just relatives of Jesus, came from the Virgin Mary. See, that's the important part. It doesn't matter so much in regard to Joseph, whether these were in fact his children from another marriage or whatever, but it does matter what we say in relation to the Virgin Mary, because the church East and West always taught that Mary, the mother of God, the Virgin Mary, the blessed Virgin Mary, remained a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. So she did not give birth to any other brothers or sisters of the Lord. So when we say that word, brother of the Lord, the one thing we know for sure that it does not mean, it does not mean that any of these brothers of the Lord, quote-unquote, came from the Virgin Mary. Only Christ came from her, and that's the important part. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up to demonstrate how in the church, a church that breathes with both lungs, as John Paul II would say, we can come at the same issue and arrive ultimately at the same fundamental point, the important point, but come at it from different ways, from different traditions and different emphasis. Just as I demonstrated, you had two different interpretations of this word, brother of the Lord, but at what point did we both end up, east and west? We ended up at the important point, that is, that this does not say that Mary had any other children other than Jesus. That's the important part, and that's where we all converge east and west. I'm going to give some other examples of how the east and the west come at things from a different emphasis or a different perspective. When I say different, I don't mean radically different. I mean just different, complementary most of the time, different perhaps in tone or emphasis mostly in perspective, but yet arrive at the same point. That's what's important. We arrive at the same point. Think of it this way. If you walked into a room, let's say your church, you're going to church on Sunday, you walk into your church through the main doors of the church, the main entrance. Somebody else comes into that same church, same time you do, but from a side entrance. Well, the view that you would have, the perspective you would have of the church would be determined by the direction in which you entered. Same thing with the other person. Their their perspective of the interior of the church, especially the immediate perspective, would be determined by the place where they entered. So you would have different perspectives, at least immediately, of the one same church. You would be arriving at the same point. You're arriving in the one same church, but you're seeing it from different perspectives. That's why, in fact, I think it's good when people go to church. Sometimes they seem to sit in the same pew or the same area, generally, of the church each time. And I would encourage people to sit or stand, kneel, whatever, in different places of the church each time you go. Get different perspectives. Take in the whole church. You can never underestimate what that might do for you. Well, the whole church itself, I don't mean the building itself now, I mean the church, the body of Christ as we know it, that is very similar. There are different perspectives, different ways to arrive at the one same place, that body of Christ. There are some other examples now. 
Take that image of entering a building from different doors and take that image and let's apply it now to some of the issues, issues that are sometimes issues of contention between the eastern and western lungs of the church. Let's take the example of purgatory. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at that from different perspectives when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Truth. It's not about how you feel. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In 1935, Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky wrote the following about truth and our attitudes towards faith. He wrote, Many believing Christians are sometimes wrong because they think that authentic religion is more of a feeling than truth itself. Faith is an act of reason and not a blind assent to just anything whatsoever. And faith is certainly not just one's private experience. Faith compels one to believe, but it compels one because the mind itself recognizes that believing is a reasonable and necessary act and that not believing would be a sin against God and truth. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. People often ask me, what is the difference between an Eastern Catholic and a Latin Rite Catholic? Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian Moment. The difference between Eastern Catholicism and Roman or Western Catholicism is not a difference in belief, nor is it just a matter of different customs and traditions. Rather, it is a difference of theological emphasis, of seeing the same thing but from different vantage points, according to the respective genius of both lungs of the Church. For instance, in Western spirituality, there is an emphasis of man striving towards God and how the accomplishments of man point to the greatness of God. This emphasis became expressed in the tall verticality of Gothic church architecture and in works of famous artists and composers. In the East, the starting point is God's transcendence, which becomes imminent and incarnate. This emphasis became expressed in the domes, arches, and iconography of the Eastern churches. East and West may differ in emphasis, but they both arrive at the same place of the one true God. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Sawyer, your host. And again, I want to say hello to some of our newest listeners in the Nebraska area, especially Omaha. And we're talking about ways in which the East and West arrive at the same point, but come at it from different perspectives or with different emphasis. And this is the genius of the church. This is the beauty of the church. This is actually what the diversity of the church really means. It means more than just ethnic diversity. Ethnic diversity is, of course, part of the church. It's a beautiful part. But there is something actually even more substantial when we talk about diversity in the church. We talk about very deep ancient, venerable traditions or expressions of the one same faith. Different ways, all legitimate ways, but different, complementary ways, to come at the same issue, the same belief, to arrive at the same point. As I mentioned before the break, 
would going to take purgatory, for example. You will hear oftentimes, especially among the Eastern Orthodox churches, that they say, well, we don't have the concept of purgatory as the West does. Well, as an Eastern Catholic, I would, as usual, I come between the two, East and West, <laughs> the Orthodox and the Roman Catholics, and I think I can make a little bit of a reconciliation there by just looking at the facts. The Eastern Orthodox churches may not specifically use the word purgatory, nor are they going to be as specific in its description as the West. And that's usually the difference between East and West on a lot of these issues. The West can get very specific about it, and sometimes that makes the East kind of uncomfortable because certain things they just leave up to mystery. They have a certain sense of it, but a lot of it they say you can't really get that specific because then you start saying something that could be eh, not exactly right. At least that's how the East looks at some of these issues. Not all of them, but some of them. So the truth is that the concept of purgatory, what does that mean? It means an ongoing purification. We tend to look at purgatory oftentimes as like lots of punishment, but it's not so much punishment. You can look at it as a purgation, a purification, and it's an ongoing purification. It is still necessary for a soul before they are allowed to enter into that hall of fame, you know, heaven, as I call it, the hall of fame of saints. The heaven, as we know it, you know, it's not just for also rants, not just for anybody. It's not cheap. Let's face it. Who's in heaven? The greatest saints, the greatest people ever lived, and angels, and all kinds of principles, and dominations, and principalities, and all kinds of beings that God made. Heaven is a holy, 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 holy place. So it's not just a place of mediocrity. So to enter there, it would only stand to reason that we would require a certain level of sanctity. And can we presume that we all have that level of sanctity when we die? Are we as holy as we can possibly be when we die? I suggest we probably are not. If we're honest with ourselves, we are not. So an idea of an ongoing kind of purgation, or you might call in the Eastern Church a divinization, would make sense. It is taught in the Western Church in a very specific way with the concept of purgatory. In the East, however, although we don't use that word per se, nonetheless, there's a very, very similar concept. It's a concept of ongoing growth. And what is growth? Growth for imperfect beings, like us, human beings, always, always involves a dying to something, a stripping away, and a rising to something better, something newer, something holier. So there's always a negative with the positive. Now, you can call that a purgation or a purgatory or a purifying, whatever you want to call it. It involves that stripping away, that dying and a renewing, a taking on of the new, just like in baptism. Furthermore, in the Eastern churches, we pray very much, very ardently, and often for those who are deceased. We pray for their salvation. We have entire days dedicated to that. At the funeral service, especially at the burial site, there's a very lengthy prayer which speaks about the possibility that maybe this soul is being withheld from the heavenly glory for a time because of sins not confessed or because of some imperfection, whatever, according to God's wisdom. And so we have the same kind of concept in the East, if we really are honest about it. Although it may not be specifically titled purgatory, and there may not be as much specific said about it, we basically arrive at the same kind of concept, East and West, that there seems to be, and it would make sense, something that continues on in the next life that enables us to be made worthy of taking our place in that Hall of Fame with all the other saints and angels in heaven. Let's take another example of 
the papacy. One of the big issues that divides the Eastern Orthodox churches with the Roman Catholic Church is the interpretation of the papacy, especially this concept of infallibility. Now, infallibility, that deserves uh, several programs in themselves. But I just want to make this point briefly, that through all the history of the church, the East although it it exists on what we call more of a local ecclesiology. In other words, a particular church with its own patriarch, which would be something like a pope, its own patriarch, bishop, priest, and laity, together make up a complete, bona fide, valid church. Whether that patriarch and his people, his priests, his clergy, are in communion with the Pope of Rome does not change the validity of that church. In fact, it doesn't change the validity of that church if it's in union or not in union with other Eastern Orthodox churches. So in the East, the concept of ecclesiology is that there is a Pope, per se. In other words, a patriarch. Pope means Papa, like Father. There is a Father of the community. And together with his clergy and people, makes up a complete entity. If that entity is in communion with the Pope of Rome and other churches, East or West, that's a good thing, but it's not absolutely necessary for validity. So it's a little bit of what we call a local church ecclesiology. In the West, the way the papacy developed is that the validity of a church, a diocese, bishop, people, and so on, is marked by It's union with the Pope of Rome, sometimes saying we are under the Pope of Rome. And so the Pope of Rome, seen by the East as the patriarch of the West, or the Bishop of Rome, becomes something more than that in the West. And so we have a difference in approach to ecclesiology, but where is the meaning point? Well, the meaning point is, first of all, that a church has a head, a head that has a fatherly tone, a a shepherd, a father, a patriarch patriarch, a papa, a pope, a father, a daddy. And also this fact that throughout the 2,000 years of history, and especially although in the East you had different patriarchates, I'll, go, I'll call them mini popes just for the sake of our discussion here. Despite that, even the East has always, and to this day, the Eastern churches, the Eastern Orthodox churches, the patriarchs, will still say that there is something special and deferential about the Bishop of Rome. In other words, the Patriarch of the West, the Pope of Rome, the Patriarch of Rome. They would say that, and they always have said that. He was called upon to call a council, which happened in the East. He was very influential in the councils. There was always, as St. Ignatius said, the St. Ignatius of Antioch said, there was always recourse to Rome. He's kind of like, to put it in rather simple language, a kind of a tiebreaker. When push comes to shove, there's a deference to the Pope of Rome. And so the meeting point comes in where there is a certain, definitely between East and West, a certain view that the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, the Patriarch of the West, has a particular kind of status. The difference is, especially in the Eastern Orthodox Church, is that that status is not a universal jurisdiction. In other words, the different patriarchs of the East don't take their marching orders from the Pope. They can govern their own churches. They're called sui juris, which means a church in and of itself, sort of like self-governing. And this is how it was, actually, in the early centuries of the church. In fact, for most of the first millennium. And that's why this is a very significant topic to look at, and it is looked at ecumenically, and to look at it in terms of the whole 2,000 years of the church, not just the last 1,000 years, because the last 1,000 years, 
the Bishop of Rome, the Pope of Rome, his stature, his status enlarged and it, it grew and for reasons that are pertinent to the West. This was the need of the West during these centuries. The East looks upon that and says, okay, it grew, but it grew to proportion that uh, we don't quite relate to. And so that's where the discussion is. But as I mentioned before, there is ultimately always a meeting point, even though there may be differences of approaches. In our pursuing programs, we will look at, from time to time, these differences, these complementary differences, yet these points of convergence. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>